Welcome to Australian Hunger, I am your host Ben. On today's show I've got two guys from One Step Beyond, not two guys that I interviewed together, two guys that I interviewed separately and I'll discuss that a little bit about later on. Before then I want to talk briefly about a particular album and kind of what it represents for me. So Season of the Mist have re-released Mayhem's second album, Grand Declaration of War. This obviously followed the death of Euronymous, the arrest of their temporary bassist, the vocalist left, so they're basically a drummer, Hellhammer. Now, Hellhammer brought on some new personnel. He brought back Necro Butcher, their previous bassist, prior to uh, Count Grishnark, infamous Vargvikanez, um, and they made a very, very different album in this second album. And my basic question is, should they have done it? And I'm not saying should they have made the album. Obviously, they should have made it. It was a really cool album. But should they have released it under the name Mayhem, given how different it was. It's difficult because you've got two different sets of interests. The interests of musicians and their ability to do whatever they want with their music, and the interests of fans who are the consumers of that music. It sort of depends on what you think really music should be. Is it a delivery system of content to those fans, or is it a form of expression for musicians? Now, I think a lot of the time it basically matches up you know, the fans are happy, the musicians are happy, but a lot of the time you have significant issues because bands often want to do different stuff. They want to expand their palette. They want to broaden their musical horizons, but they're not always in a position where they feel they can do that. And that's kind of problematic. You Musicians should ultimately be able to do whatever they want because I think when they're and there are, of course, exceptions to this. When they're doing whatever they want, they'll produce some of the most interesting and, and best stuff. I, you know, I sympathize with musicians in a lot of ways. I've talked to a bunch of them, but yeah, it, it's very difficult because you obviously want the fans to kind of get what they're expecting because they're the ones who support the music, obviously. Not to the greatest extent in the current climate, but they're the ones who support the music. But, but, but. And I want to kind of emphasize this. Like, as a musician, it's kind of an idea of the band. And it's not just a brand. The brand is obviously important. It goes a long way, and that's why you keep it, regardless of what style you change to. Because it represents your ability to get interviews, because you've got a history, get gigs, because you've got a history, all those sorts of things. But it's an idea to you. It's something that you've nurtured. And even though it changes, it may still be very much of the same ilk in your mind. And that's so important to keep going. It's sort of arbitrary in a lot of ways that this name, which could easily be replaced by another name, it, but it means stuff because we're sentimental. You know, if, if nothing else, people are sentimental. And I think people should always remember that, that the musicians most of the time are trying very hard to make good music and music which resonates with them most of all. Uh, it may be unfortunate in some circumstances, but I think fans should kind of just be happy that the musicians are producing music which they enjoy and realize that there's a lot of other bands out there which can really make music which will appeal to them, regardless of what that is. So I talked to Justin Wood and Matt Spencer of One Step Beyond. As I mentioned, not together separately. <laughs> so I interviewed Justin last week and I interviewed Matt last night. And the reason that was pretty simple, uh, Matt is this primary songwriter, and I kind of want him to fill in a little bit of the gap in terms of what the 
kind of perspective the band is, why it approaches music it does, why it writes music it does. And I, I thought that was really valuable to hear from him about this, this project. I was thinking about trying to integrate their responses into kind of one super Franken interview. Uh, I couldn't not get it to work and it never really made sense in my mind. So I've just run them back to back. So first up, you'll hear Justin Wood. And second up, you'll hear Matt Spencer. In terms of the music that plays during the podcast, the first track is In the Shadow of the Beast. The next one is Enlightenment. And the last one you hear is The Sentinel. This is Justin Wood of One Step Beyond. One thing that I really got from listening to, you know, the, the the demo, the four albums, the EP, is that I'm really struggling to explain just to myself, like, what kind of music you guys play. Do you, do you have any kind of, I don't know, description of, and I'm not talking about like a genre, but like a, a more sort of broad description of the kind of music that you guys make? Well, I kind of coined the term experimental just to sort of cover it, but uh yeah, basically, we, we love metal, but there's a lot of other influences too. And uh, Matt, who writes all of the music for One Step Beyond, has the broadest range of musical tastes that I've ever witnessed in a human being. So he's just trying to incorporate as many of those into the albums as as possible. Yeah, especially amongst the, the, the first three. It's really incredible. Like, I don't think I've... Maybe maybe there might be one or two others, but I, especially with such an extreme metal band, I don't think I've ever heard such sort of broad, just broad set of influences. It's actually really incredible. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. <clears throat> but um, this album, um, when did you guys start working on it? Uh, a couple of years ago, um, pretty soon after the release of the previous album, The Music of Chance, and um, Matt came up with the idea of writing an album based on fleshing out the stories that were, that were uh, attached to the games that we used to play on, you know, the old systems like the Commodore 64 and the Amiga, because uh, the gameplay wasn't brilliant. He, um, he read the stories and found that there was often a lot more detail to the stories than to the actual game itself. So decided to write a theme album based around those stories and sort of bringing those to life in song form. That's really cool. So, like, what kind of games are we talking about? Um, and because I'm so, uh, <laughs> I'm young and I probably don't know which games you're referring to. <laughs> like, what, what, what's what's the gameplay? What's the story like for the for the games you're talking about? Uh, games like Shadow Warriors, and Impossible Mission, The Sentinel, and Another World. There's uh, yeah, just. Games that yeah, younger people wouldn't have, have ever heard of, but uh, us being in our 40s, uh, we grew up on those. Uh, yeah, Shadow of the Beast. Yeah, just, just those games that uh, that came out on the, the 64, Commodore 64 and the Amiga, and uh, you know, even the really early consoles. And now what was it that sort of appealed to you about kind of ma- making those into some sort of music? Were you trying to borrow from the music within the game itself or kind of reimagine an entirely different kind of, I don't know, soundtrack or accompaniment or just a different Funny thing? you should or... say that. Uh, I, there is uh, even a riff or two in the songs that even reminds me of the tunes in those those old tracks. Uh, but it, it wasn't really um, 
looking to borrow from it, but rather than just to, to sort of you know breathe new life into it. And even you know, if you're a generation like yourself who never actually played the games, uh, just to sort of wonder, well, you know, what's what's this album about? Where's it coming from? And you know, maybe look into it a bit more, which is also part of why the the cover and the formatting is the way it is. Um, like the the song listing on the back is basically done like an old basic program. Um, how you'd list out the old program and then have the flashing cursor at the bottom. It's it's done like that. And uh, it's sort of just to basically, for, so people will ask why. Why is it done like that? And hopefully look into it a little bit. Now, how long has it been since you played some of these games? Uh, I, I do get the old systems out occasionally and have a bash. It's, it's probably been a few years now. But uh, certainly a few times since the the, the teenage years we've, we've pulled out the old systems the old commodore 64 and the amiga and fired them up i mean the, the the games obviously have lost a little bit of sheen over the years but you know it's still fun to revisit them that's really interesting that so the, the consoles still work uh yeah yeah i've, I've got a few and uh, we've got a few um the old commodore 64 with the, the data cassette and the cartridge and the you know, the old the old big floppy disks uh, yeah they all still work uh that's incredible that's really, that's really incredible. Um, so, in terms of like actually writing music, I understand that like Matt's the primary songwriter. Like, how did he and like and what is your sort of involvement in that? How, how did that the music sort of come about? Well, One Step Beyond has always been Matt's baby as far as writing the songs goes. It's that's his creative outlet. Uh, we actually joined each other's bands uh, back in 1997, 98. And I, I had another band going called Hatred Slave, which uh, who needed a guitarist. And Matt and now deceased guitarist Jeremy had were originally playing in a band called Sexual Intercorps. Uh, and Matt decided that he wanted to go and do his own thing. And Jeremy went along with him. So they had the, the guitar, the bass and the program drums, but they had no one on vocals. So um, since we both had a vacancy in our bands we we joined each other's bands and so I, I was aware from the start that Matt was going to be the primary creator and I wouldn't really have much input in that department but I was okay with that because I've done a few other bands where I have had creative input so um, it, it still works out well for me and Matt asks things of me that I that I hadn't done in originally so he's expanded on my vocal range and my capacity as well so pushing me to try new things so it's all good. Vocally, how, how have you sort of expanded things for this one? Uh, it, I never used to do a, a roaring type of vocal. I always used to do the, the growls, the deep growls and the high screams uh, when I first started. And then Matt sort of encouraged me to do some sort of mid-range, sort of medium growls and then down the track some, some roars and some higher-pitched screams than I could do. So it's expanded my, my repertoire you know, in, in several ways, but the main one being the roaring style, like, you know, what Glenn Benton does with Deicide, uh, rather than a growling death metal style, I had to work on that one and develop that one a bit to be able to do it properly. Now, one thing that kind of fascinates me about this band is that because it's, because the songs are often written in a really interesting way, like, if I was sort of coming to it fresh and there were there was sort of an instrumental track... I wouldn't really be sure where to put the vocals in a lot of tracks, just because the the song's really interesting that way. Like, at what stage do the vocals come in? Does Matt lay that down for you, or do you um, figure out how they're going to be arranged? No, with One Step Beyond, Matt composes the whole song and and he puts the vocals exactly where he feels that they should be. Uh, basically, crafts the whole song at once. 
and then he'll, he'll hit me up with three or four new songs at a time to learn. So, yeah, every, everything in this band is written out for me. Where, where does the album title come from? Um, that's the, one of the games, The Shadow of the Beast. Um, that's that's where it's originally from, um, and that's where the uh, the cover artwork's based around as well. Um, basically, a, a beast spreading through the land is not in an actual specific form, but you, know, you can more so see the wave of destruction behind him. And, and the rest of the land's in shadow. Now, fortunately, the printing came out quite dark on this cover, which wasn't exactly planned. It, it does tie in fairly well with the whole being in the shadows theme, but uh, it's a little dark for our liking, unfortunately. But never mind, these things happen. In terms of you guys playing live, so like it's obviously a little bit difficult being a two-piece, but you guys played a, a show last year. I think it was your first show in about eight years. Like, how, yes. how do you guys feel about playing that show? Because you'd actually been playing material from, I think it would have been your 2014 release, which no one had actually heard at that stage. And I I think you might have played stuff from this release as well. Yes, that was the, the first time we played songs from those two albums live. Um, basically, after Jeremy was killed in, in 2007, we we didn't really actively look for... A solid lineup. We we did have um, we had uh, Paul Hodgson, who's um, another member of a few other local bands, play with us on guitar. We played with Niall and Hate Eternal with him on guitar, and another lad Ben Zotti on drums. But um, that was only a temporary thing. Ben only played the one show with us, and Paul played a few shows. But uh, the focus was really more on putting out studio albums. But uh, and the the, the Adelaide Resurrection show we sort of been thinking about doing that for a while and it was my girlfriend's 40th birthday and she had another band that she was friends with who played on her 30th birthday and so on one step beyond and we sort of thought it'd be cool to, to get both the bands back on stage again the other band Shurikai hadn't played for 10 years and we hadn't played for eight years and the um the two guitarists that played the one step beyond set with us uh, were from another band that i'm in called brutaliate um but one of the guitarists also had another band called Blood Mason that hadn't played in seven years, so we thought we'll get the, all three bands back on the stage, first time in many years, and yeah, it was a blast. So a lot of old friends and everyone had a great time. So yeah, it, it was um, it was a bit different. Matt and I um, we, we found it a bit odd to be back on the stage, but got back in the swing of things pretty quickly. And um, we had uh, a really good local drummer called Liam Weedle, who uh, he plays in quite a few Adelaide bands, but. Um, yeah, we had a, a pretty good, solid support team there, so it, it felt really good. I had, had a great show, and yeah, everybody enjoyed it. So we'd love to be able to do a bit more of it, but it's just a matter of having the, the people who can commit and who are of the same mindset. And that's why sometimes people don't stay in the band for very long, because uh, I don't know that they don't really see things the, the same way as us, as far as playing the music goes. So uh, yeah, we, we've had a couple of people try out, but it hasn't really worked out. So. We're, we're content to keep doing the albums for the time being, but I mean, me personally, I love to play live, so if there's an opportunity, I'm going to grab it. Now, you're involved, I think, in a couple other bands. Talk a little bit about those. Uh, that's, a, that's a long story, but I'll, I'll start from the beginning. <laughs> um, <laughs> I originally started with a sort of not very serious black metal band called Sargothus, who only ever played one show and just did a couple of demos and... It, it wasn't very serious. It was just a friend of and, and a friend and myself basically messing around. So uh, I, I felt like doing something a bit more serious. So I got together with another couple of lads and started up jamming with the band that would eventually become Hatred Slave, which was uh, I considered to be my first serious proper band. 
Um, and that's the band that Matt joined on guitar. And then I joined One Step Beyond on vocals. And pretty soon after, the two of us sort of felt like doing another sort of not very serious band. So we did just a two-piece with a drum machine called Freak Fuckfest. And Freak Fuckfest uh, attracted the interest of Don from Slaughter Thou, who asked me to join Slaughter Thou on bass and vocals. So um, that was another band that I had a pretty decent innings with, and did a few interstate shows and did some recordings. And after Slaughter Thou... Uh, joined Mythica on bass and vocals as well, and was in, was involved with Mythica for a few years, and unfortunately that band sort of died off a little bit. So uh, after that, I joined up with um, I started doing uh, a porn grind band, basically uh, just songs that I'd written previously and hadn't really had a chance to play. So um, called that Bukaki and had another couple of guys. Once again, the the same guitarist from uh, Brutaliate and One Step Beyond, Lachlan, he plays in Bukaki with me as well. And uh, he started writing some riffs for Bukaki, but also some of the some of the riffs we were writing, he was writing, weren't really suitable, but they were really good. So we started up a, another band playing more of the death metal style, and which, which is called Brutaliate, and that one's still going. And... Also got joined to our, asked to join Seminal Embalmment on vocals, so um, that was just at the point where they just recorded their full-length debut album and their vocalist left, so they asked me if I wanted to join. And I hadn't hadn't been involved in a band where it was just standalone vocals actively on the stage for a while. It was always with the bass, so I thought it'd be cool to, to do a band that just had just frontman vocals again. So uh, yeah, played with Seminal Embalmment. We did a did a few pretty good shows. Um, and yeah, that's all of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so they all kind of revolve around, I don't know, sort of vaguely death metal. What's kind of kept you playing and, and singing in that style? Uh, it's what I'm good at, um, and it's what I enjoy. Short answer, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, look, there's a lot of thing I'm not, a lot of things that I'm not brilliant at, but death metal vocals is one thing where I'm confident. You know, I'll stand up against anyone on the microphone. To, uh, to do death metal vocals and um, bass I'm not too bad thankfully I don't play bass in one step beyond because Matt's a lot better at it than I am but uh, yeah I'm, I like playing more like the the heavy death metal and grindcore style and I like, I like to play it I love to sing it it's yeah it's in my blood so when, when do you start playing and, uh, and and doing vocals when did I start uh, that was 1995, but I, I wasn't particularly good at it at the time. <laughs> I probably sort of started to get pretty decent at it sort of early 2000s and round about once Freak Fuckfest sort of had been around for a little while and I started to play with Slaughter Thou and learn some few, some harder songs and yeah, coordinate the bass and the vocals. That was about it. So yeah, early, early 2000s was when I would consider myself to be half decent. um in terms of like um any kind of music not not just death metal not just metal anything what are some of your favorite albums or bands from growing up i mean i grew up on the you know the heavy sort of thrash slayer creator megadeth metallica anthrax all that sort of early stuff and the the real early florida death metal uh deicide morbid angel obituary and yeah started listening to those and my tastes haven't really changed a lot i did listen to a bit of you know the, the really angry violent hip-hop and 
um, little bit of um, sort of grunge and like the other sort of heavy styles, but death metal's always been predominantly my favourite. And uh, sort of nowadays, I listen to um, I've been listening to De- Decrepit Birth a lot. They're brilliant. Uh, Obscura, new bands. Yeah, the, the, I mean, there's there's a few from the slam genre, but yeah, I, I still mainly listen to the classic, the old death metal stuff. Um, sort of 90s Napalm Death, Carcass. Um, yeah, pretty much. Marduk in the black metal genre, um, like Behemoth. Yeah, but a little bit of black metal, a little bit of thrash, but predominantly the, the 90s death metal. I still revisit it a lot. Uh, and last question. Uh, is there anything you've yep. been watching, reading, uh, listening to that you... Uh, um, not really a huge amount of time for reading, unfortunately. Um, not so much anymore. But um, watching, I've been watching a lot of shows, like things like Cosmos about space, that I find fascinating. Um, Zeitgeist. I keep just going back and watching that, just because it, it sort of it's undoes a lot of the lies that we've been that we've grown up on. Uh, that's one that's definitely worth watching. Uh, yeah, mainly yeah movies. Big fan of violent movies, um, action movies. Pretty much it as far as my entertainment goes. Um, and yeah, pretty much off the track. Um, cooking shows and um, water security is another thing I watch a lot of, <laughs> just to see what people try to smuggle in. Oh, 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 oh,
start writing the album? Uh, uh, this one was quite some time ago. It's it's uh, quite hard to remember. I think it was a it was probably a three or four year process. The writing, just uh, putting down ideas from uh, just riffs and beats and bass lines, and uh, that would have started shortly after the the completion of the previous album. Actually, some of the songs may have been just uh, started from excerpts from stuff that didn't make the previous album. So it's uh, it's a time-consuming and uh, long and patient process. Mm. Now, do you have like a, a way of doing things when you're trying to write new material? Uh, uh, yes and no. I mean, it's uh, I, I just try to listen to what the songs tell me at the end of the day. I mean, if I, if I find a riff that I like or a beat that I like or, or listen to somebody's song and think I like the way that the vocals were structured in that, I'd like to build something around an idea like that and uh, and just start uh, committing it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a case of trying to trying to listen to what, what the music's telling me to do so much as uh, more so than imposing myself on it and when i'm when i think i'm in my best zone for writing it is just a, a result of that just listening and reacting mm-hmm. one thing that really fascinates me about your approach is that kind of each song is not just hey this is one step beyond it has a one step beyond sound it's structured like a one step beyond song it kind of have they kind of all have their own individual space to work in what sort of caused you to go in that direction with how you sort of approach um songwriting uh, i think i'm i'm a just a music lover in general i love so many styles of music and uh, when i first started making music i wanted to do a a death metal band, a, a punk band, a reggae band, a jazz band, and a funk band, and a rock band, and everything. And it became apparent over time that that's probably not going to happen. I'm, I'm getting overly ambitious with that. So uh, it just came to trying to sneak as many little elements of all the things I loved in as much music as I could into one project, but have the axis of that be death metal, because that's the first stuff that I really learnt how to write. Probably even more rudimentary grindcore would have been the first stuff that I was learning how to write, uh, I think, back, uh, we were listening to quite a lot of Blood Duster and what have you back then in the, in the Fisting the Dead days in the, in the early mid-90s and so on, and uh, just it seemed achievable to have three or four really cool riffs in a song and have the song go for a minute and a half, and, uh, and that's probably why Death and Grind were the, became the axis of it. But also it was growing up listening, very much growing up as a, as a youth and a teen, listening to bands and artists like uh, Frank Zappa or Miles Davis or Living Colour, uh, even Suicidal Tendencies, uh, Fishbone and bands like that, where every song had very much its own identity and it wasn't always recognisable or obvious that it was the same band from song to song and anything could happen through the course of an album. And... Uh, yeah, I think that just uh, even bands like The Clash and uh, Bad Brains as well deserve a mention. I think that um, was a very appealing thing to me, much more so than putting out an album with 10 songs that were 10 variations on the one theme. And I'm not opposed to that. Some of my favourite ever albums do that. But I liked uh, I liked having a little bit more fun with tone and mood and atmosphere and uh, what have you. One of the things that really interested me about this album was... And correct me, this is sort of my oversimplification of listening to it, but it, it sort of feels like it's a, a, a slightly more straightforward. Like the other ones would have very extreme, like 
genre bending approaches some very very short songs whereas this one like it had a really really interesting approach but like the genre bended maybe slightly less is that at all accurate am i am i I characterizing that right no i think I, i agree with you completely i think it's this one is probably much more much more metal and i think for me it it's it's uh it Genre bends, but within metal, I liked. I ideally touched upon almost every corner of metal and extreme metal and what have you that I possibly could with this one. And even there's moments where there's things taken from, say, ska music or a classic ska groove or a, or maybe a funk rhythm or what have you. But it was a, probably a conscious effort in this album to keep the tone that it was delivered in much more metal, whereas previously we'd shift to a ska section and have it tonally approach Scar more than it approached metal conventionally in the tone, whereas this album is very much, uh, yeah, more commonly tonally metal. So the, the, the music's very related to video games, the themes and ideas are very related to video games. What was it about video games and the specific video games that you're uh, sort of basing this on that kind of, I know, inspired you for this particular record? It's... Uh, it might have just felt like the right thing at the right time. I'm not sure I was looking for a, a common theme throughout the album, and I've, I like uh, I like themes through through albums lyrically, and uh, I think it might have just been a case of looking around the house or, or what have you, and and just seeing something that uh, that resonated. And um, quite a few of those old games had a uh, sci-fi or fantasy or sword and sorcery sort of theme that. Uh, can easily be related to metal, or some of them were just silly, rudimentary beat 'em up games, and it was uh, just the violence in them is easy to translate into extreme metal in particular, and um, it was it felt like a good challenge at the time as well because some of these games aren't necessarily games that need to be remembered by anyone. They were probably average at best, but they just resonated with me as a as a teenager or what have you, and um, it was just a fun little self-indulgence to try and extrapolate a little story or what have you from their paragraph long plots that they'd have on the back of the boxes and, and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, it was um, a case of probably remembering some of the games that I really enjoyed back then that could easily be translated in some respect into lyrics appropriate for an, a metal album. In, in terms of the vocals on particularly some of your earlier records, like, I kind of don't understand how the vocals work. It, like, seems to me that they shouldn't work, but they should. Like, how, how do you, how have you gone about sort of approaching the vocals on songs that are just not necessarily well suited to that kind of vocal style? Yeah, it's been very difficult, and sometimes I end up being a real almost unpleasant taskmaster with Justin. You'd have to ask him about it. I, I try to be diplomatic, but uh, trying to just find, we spend a lot of time just getting to pitch and tone and making sure something's not quite completely screamy or completely growly or just finding a middle ground where it can be snarly or something and, and have it be extreme but not utterly intense so it alienates itself from the musical atmospheres that might not be always intense or extreme and 
yeah, it's been difficult to, we've always been hesitant to completely sing, probably because we're, I'm speaking for myself, I'm, I'm rubbish at it. And uh, I'm sure Justin can do a decent job when push came to shove, but he feels much more comfortable grunting or snarling or screaming or barking or what have you. Um, so it was just always a case of, can we get away with this? And what's the best way we can get away with it? And sometimes it would just be mitigating the extremity of it while still having it be extreme metal vocals, probably predominantly over a groove that might be structurally more suited to reggae music or tones that might be more ambient or whatever. And I think sometimes it works and uh, sometimes it's it's a stretch, definitely for some listeners. But uh, I think it's fun. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, I, I want to uh, dive sort of into your background a little bit. You, you mentioned that you sort of started off with death metal and grindcore kind of being your primary know musical forms i guess what was it that originally appealed to you about those uh, well i think they've, they were certainly the ones that came to me when i started playing instruments um the ones that were first seemed accessible for me to be able to write to but i'd grown up with preceding them uh, <clears throat> everything from black sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult would have been probably my introductions to heavy music, then through groups like Suicidal Tendencies and uh, Slayer and Metallica and, uh, of course, back then everyone's stepping stone to more extreme things was Pantera. <coughs> and, um, yeah, I think someday, sometime at school someone just uh, chucked on uh, Tomb of the Mutilated and uh, it sounded like the, just a logical extension of all things that, that were extreme and uh, wonderfully absurd and I think what probably connected with me mostly was that the lad that put it on was singing along to it, and I'd never heard these intense growls like Chris Barnes had on that album in particular, and this lad sitting across from me was sitting there just mirroring it perfectly, and I thought, you know, instead of listening to to that, thinking, no, there's no way anyone could actually do that, this this lad was sitting right next to me just doing it, and he was nailing it, it was fantastic. Seeing him do death vocals in the flesh is my first exposure so that sort of thing and I thought that's pretty cool and I think uh, within shortly after that someone gave me a tape of uh, spiritual healing by death and that just uh, again sounded extreme but in a completely different way to how how um, Tomb of the Mutilated was and uh, with the, the legible vocals and Chuck had a, a social conscience or a social awareness at least um, with his venomous attitude and I thought that was fantastic uh, and the real clincher was probably the live corruption video by Napalm Death seeing that and being able to put a face to to the performance and seeing how it was physically performed and played on the, on the guitars and the drums and seeing a blast beat performed for the first time and uh, with such uh, velocity and uh, and like a tornado as Mick Harris delivered it and uh, seeing just the way the crowds interacted with it was just wow I'd, I'd seen metal before but not like that with that energy and I think that was appealing as a uh, as an angsty teenager uh, just a great release of energy and it was all it all felt just a little bit dangerous as well and uh, and very appealing in that respect to someone that enjoyed horror films and and so on. It uh, it was a it was a logical step, I think. <laughs>
and what about the other bands that you were talking about? Like, how did they sort of get incorporated into your sort of musical landscape being, in a lot of ways, very different from those kind of death metal bands and, and grindcore bands in the case of Napalm Death? Sure. Uh, it was really just a probably constant exposure from, from youth, from my father to, to these. I mean, he li- would literally bring home uh, a Miles Davis album, a De La Soul album and a Slayer album, and I'd be having these exposed to me all the time to a, a Madness album, and which is where we ended up stealing our name from, obviously. Uh, all these different wonderful styles of music, and some of it I couldn't get into at all, some of it just worked for me and it was just through the relentless exposure to it I think that uh, that it all came together and uh, just became a case of that all of them had appealing things about them and I just uh, just wanted to be a part of all of it I think and yeah ran out of time to make all these bands happen and stuck them in one. Now you're, you're primarily a bassist when did you pick that up and, and why did you stick with it? That up in my my very late teens, I think I, a friend had a bass guitar and I saw him play it and I thought he was pretty pretty sweet on it and I thought I, I want to be that good at doing that so it seemed quite achievable. I think my fingers were just too big for guitar and bass felt more natural and uh, just went with it from there and I think I probably got a bass for my 18th birthday or something similar like that and one of the things that appealed to me most, I think again from having uh, groups like Suicidal Tendencies and Infectious Grooves and uh, and what have you in my, my listening past at that point where bass could be quite prominent was that uh, it felt underexplored as an instrument in modern music and especially in extreme metal and a lot of what made me persist with it was trying to find new ways to make bass be heard in extreme metal rather than just have it be a, essentially a frequency instrument which it was on so many death metal and, and what have you albums where it just filled in the frequency range below the guitars or above the kick drum and below the guitars and it, you could if you had an average cd player or tape player or what have you you could uh, literally listen to an album and not hear the bass at all and that just seemed ridiculous and uh, so there was definitely that drive to make bass be present in terms of the frequencies it occupied and how it settled into in- arrangements in extreme metal. Mm, now that goes perfectly into my next question, because one of the things you do, obviously, you know, <laughs> just, just based on that that statement and you hear, you hear it in the music, is you do some actually interesting stuff in bass. You like, I, I find myself when I'm actually listening to your material, listening out for the bass, seeing like not just what's the guitar doing, that sort of visceral enjoyment of, of the riffs, but also, hey, what is the the bass doing? There's actually interesting stuff going on beneath the guitar. Um, this might be kind of a too vague a question, but how do you make bass interesting when it's sort of can too often, especially as you said, metal be not focused on in that kind of way? Yeah, it's difficult. I think again, that's probably part of the, the eclectic nature of our music is that sometimes the riffs can occupy the the thin three strings on the guitar for, for an extended period, which opens up the frequency spectrum for the bass to be much more present. Uh, sometimes it'll just be different techniques, like I'm, I really love slapping and popping as far as techniques go, and I don't think they have to be exclusively funk techniques. They work wonderfully in extreme metal because they're aggressive and attacking, 
and I like sneaking that in there in different ways too. And uh, some bands I always love the way Cryptopsy would maybe two or three times an album sneak in a slapping and popping line, and it just had that aggression and attack to it, and uh, filled the gaps in different ways. But um, yeah, sometimes it, it's definitely about shifting the guitars to a to a higher register as much as anything on a lot of occasions. Sometimes it's uh, it's slowing the guitar riffs down and slowing the drums down so the bass can be busy for a moment because especially live, if the if kick drums are busy live, then bass just gets lost for the most part in most mixes unless you're playing in a very high frequency range. And uh, yeah, there's, there's all manner of ideas like that. It can be literally writing a, a song bass first as well and arranging things around that has happened on several occasions. I know. So what are you listening to, reading or, or watching at the moment? Is there anything that sort of is occupying your attention or is of interest to you? Uh, so many things, to be honest. Um, in terms of reading, I'm reading, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It's a book on the Miles Davis electronic period, pretty much 1967 through to 1974, which... Uh, was originally a much maligned period for him because the jazz purists just hated what he did and it's uh, it's kind of quite inaccessible music, a lot of it, and uh, hard to make sense of. A lot of albums like Bitches Brew and uh, In a Silent Way and, and things like that happened in this period. And um, he was definitely reaching for some interesting interesting things in, in that time and it's a really fascinating book written by someone that loves that period and wants to talk about it. And uh, I'm a big fan of what Miles was doing in that time. So definitely while reading that, I've been listening to a lot of Miles from that period, uh, probably uh, Pangea and Agatha in particular. I think are, are challenging and interesting albums and they're kind of easy to dismiss as just uh, jams while people are trying to write songs. And I think that's a lot of what Miles did at that time was we, he would capture the journey rather than the the result and sometimes it can just be sloppy and and uh, what have you but uh, sometimes it works a treat um other things uh, have been what have i been watching recently uh i watched a terence malick film the other night uh, thin red line which i've been meaning to watch for a decade or so uh, just a interesting war film it gets a a little bit cryptic and um ambiguous at times but uh, just stunning cinematography i think he's a fascinating filmmaker i think he upset the the uh, hollywood system quite heavily in the 1970s and it took him 30 years to make another film and uh, i'm not sure it was worth the wait but it was definitely worth a watch and in terms of listening there's my attention span shifts very quickly with music so there's uh, a lot of different things i'm thinking uh, uh, definitely uh, i've been writing a for another project I'm working on is a, is a semi-funeral doom sort of album. So I've been listening to quite a few bands. Uh, Mournful Congregation from my hometown are always fantastic and worship. Uh, uh, fairly seminal, I guess, in the style. And Esoteric, the uh, English band uh, that do a really psychedelic-laced sort of interpretation of funeral doom. Um, uh, wee bits of... Uh, as uh, Frank Zappa, as usual, always seems to crop up. Um, I'm a real sucker for Detroit techno, so Jeff Mills is always on my playlist. I uh, love, love techno in its infancy when it was uh, 
not so much for the dance floor as, as music for your mind and it, uh, before it got uh, got sanitized in popular culture um yeah lots of those uh dismember always seem to come back to dismember these last few years especially some of their more recent albums that i didn't give too much of of mind to when they were first released i think they're excellent um uh, autopsy revisiting autopsy acts of the unspeakable i think is a genius album and wonderfully sloppy and uh, under-processed and probably wasn't even mastered and some of the playing sounds like it could use another take but the songs are just brilliant and I love the spontaneously expressive guitar solos in it as well I, lo I love improvised guitar leads as much as I love structured leads I love improvised leads which have a more sometimes a more genuine feel to them so I love that in Autopsy's music in particular uh, I could go on and on
that was The Sentinel. Before that, we heard Enlightenment, and the first track was In the Shadow of the Beast from the album of the same name, all by One Step Beyond. Thank you for Justin and Matt chatting to me. I think it's very indulgent of me to have said, hey, I've interviewed one member, can I interview another? But I really appreciate them going along with me and helping to get this uh, episode out there. Before I finish up, I just want to recommend an album. This is If Only Every Day Could Be Like This by Even the Trees, Canadian post-hardcore band. You know, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of post-hardcore, but I think this album really represents sort of one of the ways in which records from a genre that kind of outside your general preference can really speak to you. Uh, obviously, I think it's just musically quite good. Uh, it's very emotive. It has great melodic expression in a lot of parts. But I think really the way it sort of reaches out to me is because it includes genres which I like, uh, sort of a proggy approach, a, a post-rock approach. And I think that's really key because not only does it include the genres which I enjoy um, distinct from anything else, but also means that some of the elements which can I can often find a little bit repetitive, and I'm not sort of singling out post-hardcore, all stuff has it, trash has it, death metal has it, black metal has it, I'm just not as sensitive to the, the repetitive nature of it as I am in post-hardcore. Um, it sort of also means that they've got a lot of different avenues to go on and they don't kind of rely on those elements like a crutch, um, which I feel like a lot of post-hardcore bands do in a certain sense, but also maybe that that's just their prime go-to. It's not like a crutch in the sense that they feel like, oh, we've got nothing else, we, we have to fall back on this. No, it's something that they actively want to do. And I think a lot of bands can often benefit from having a lot of different other ways to approach how a song is structured, not just to go down the same avenue, whether it's by choice or by absolute necessity, but to be able to explore different things. And I think it's really great for music to kind of incorporate a a wide variety of influences. You know, not every band needs to go as uh, insane and uh, quite impressive as One Step Beyond. If you've listened to their first three records, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, I think every band can really benefit from a wide variety of influences. I'm hoping to have another interview tomorrow and get it out later in the week. But um, thank you for joining me, and I hope I'll catch you later. Bye.